The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. We are live on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee and streaming online at wvfs.fsu.edu. I'm your host, Gary Putnick, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Austin Reynolds. Austin, how was your Labor Day weekend? Pretty uneventful, honestly. I got roped into a game called uh, Among Us. I don't know if you've ever played it. It's kind of like Town of Salem. There's like a town of people that do tasks, whatever, and then there's imposters that try and sabotage the whole thing, kill everybody. Super fun. Played a few games with my friends, but aside from that, watched some NBA playoffs, watched your Heat, uh, unfortunately not closed out the series. We're going to get to that a little later, but solid weekend, I'd say. Sounds like a great weekend. Laid low, didn't do too much, but... Let's get into a little bit of what we got coming on today's show. And for the first time since March, we have not one but two live panelists joining the show. Sadly, due to the regulations that we have right here at the station, we will only get to one of them per half hour, and they'll be calling in over the phone from their homes. Also, um, I would like to also mention that we do have Benny Moses running the Twitter tonight at talk underscore Tomahawk on Twitter. Give him a follow over there and follow up on what he has going on the Twitter tonight. And also, before I forget to mention, I'd like to wish our amazing chief anchor, Olivia Rhodes, a very happy birthday. She has done a great job at the position here for the past uh, past year, and she's done a great job at the station for the past three years. And so we're so, so, we're so, so excited to see what she has this year coming our way. And once again, just like to wish you a happy birthday, Olivia. Hope you had a great day. But uh, first up, let's get uh, to who we got coming on the show. We have Luke Hazen. He's going to be our first panelist of the year. I know we had Luke Fay call in earlier for our first show back in live studio, but we have Luke Hazen coming on right now. And Luke, your Rays beat up on my Marlins pretty bad this season. You guys won the Citrus Series five games to one. How are you feeling about their chances heading into the final half of the season and the playoffs? Hey, Gary, what's going on? Uh, well, first and foremost, I just want to say what an honor it is to be you know, back on the show. Uh, I didn't I didn't know when we were going to be allowed back on the show uh, when COVID, the COVID restrictions hit in March. So I'm, I'm very, very blessed to be even remotely back on the show. Um, as for the Rays, things are looking sunny in, in Tampa Bay, and more likely uh, St. Pete, actually. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling very confident in the Rays team that we have right now. I would feel even more confident, though, if, if I knew that the entire bullpen, which has been on the injured list, injured reserve all year, would be back. But, um, hey, they have the best record in the American League. They're only two games back for the best record in the entire major league uh, baseball. So I'm, I'm pretty, pretty confident in them, man. I'm honestly surprised with how the Rays have been playing. I knew they were going to be good, but I was, I'm okay. I didn't think they were going to be this good. They've been playing some really solid baseball and they've just superseded or they've just exceeded all of my expectations. So great. I'm happy to see that you guys are doing well. Great to see that the state of Florida is seeing some really good baseball right now, whether it be from the Marlins or the Rays. The Marlins took down the Atlanta Braves 5-4 today in extra innings. Austin, how would you enjoy that one? I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) I enjoyed it, but we let's get into something that we're all really excited for, and it's this weekend. It's Florida State football. Florida State football is back for the first time since their loss at the Sun Bowl, which, Austin, you were at in El Paso, Texas. The Knowles will be coming back to Doak Campbell Stadium, Bobby Bowden Field, to take on the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets at 3.30 p.m. on ABC. I mean, this is, it's going to be weird because there's going to be 16,000 fans about that. There's going to, it's going to be all socially distanced. Their band, even the band, the Marching Chiefs will, they won't be performing on the field. They'll only be 
playing in the stands uh, by themselves, which is going to just kind of be weird. But to kind of preface Florida State football on how they performed last season, their record was 6-7, and 4-4 four and four in the ACC. This was the final year of the Willie Taggart era. And their significant wins, um, let's be honest, they didn't really have any. They won the games that they should have won, and they almost lost. And they almost lost some of those games that they should have won as well. ULM, ULM, exactly. And then, but they also did lose a lot of those games that they should have won. We'll bring up Boise State. They lost thirty-six to thirty-one after scoring thirty-one points in the first half. Uh, was it then at UV at number twenty-five UVA? They lost thirty-one twenty-four on a heartbreaker in the last minute of the game on that final drive where it was questionable calls, to say the least, where they rushed up to the ball on the goal line and decided to run it with Cam. So that didn't end up too well. They lost to at Wake Forest 22-20 to thanks to some wet conditions and not the best conditions really for field goals, let's be honest. And then probably the one of the biggest losses this year for games that they expected to have a chance at winning, I'd say, was the 27-10 to loss against the University of Miami which was Willie Taggart's last game as head coach for the Knolls. So they will have, I'd say, a cupcake coming into this week uh, where they take on Georgia Tech, who went 3-9 and nine under Jeff Collins in his first year at the helm for the Jackets. Uh, they were 2-6 and six in the ACC. They averaged 286.3 yards per game. That was good enough for 127th in the nation. And they also averaged 16.7 points per game and that was 124th in the nation. This was a weird year for the Jackets because this was the first year since 2007, I believe, where they did not run the triple option offense. So it was a weird time, and they're in the, they're in that same kind of transition phase that it feels like Florida State is almost in. I know the win-loss total is way different between these two teams and the talent level as well, but they're in the same sort of rebuilding phase of their life or of their cycles right now. Austin, how do you feel necessarily about seeing the Jackets come into Tallahassee this weekend? Well, I'll be honest. I'm a little conflicted. No, just kidding. The, the reason <laughs> I say that is because when I was in high school, like freshman, uh, sophomore year, I wanted to go to Georgia Tech. That was my dream school. So I rooted for Georgia Tech in the uh, the miracle at Doak, the blocked kickoff return, blocked uh, field goal attempt that was ran back against FSU. That was at Bobby Dodd, wasn't it, though? That was at Bobby Dodd, yes. yes. Okay. But, but I did root for Tech in that game. Uh, sorry to say that. <laughs> but my, my allegiance is uh, is settled now. Um, so I do go to FSU. But um, I don't know if I would go as far as to call Georgia Tech a cupcake. It probably is the most winnable game on the schedule. But, I mean, anytime you're playing a conference opponent, especially a, a second-year head coach that has had time to kind of instill his culture, uh, get some of the players that he wants to get, potentially... I know they're returning for their running backs, so they have consistency in that position. But it, it should be a winnable game for Florida State, and I would expect them to come out with a victory. Luke, how do you feel about the Jackets here this weekend? Well, I'm, I'm a little bit more optimistic than, than Austin put it right there when it comes to FSU's chances this weekend against Georgia Tech. But I will say, this Georgia Tech team, this is absolutely the kind of team that FSU would just find a way to lose against last year, 100%. Uh, just like the weight game where they should have won Virginia, they let that one slip away. This Georgia Tech team seems just seems like they would have beaten FSU last year. But we don't not you know we're not going to knock the nose till we see them uh, with Mike Norvell now as their head coach. So I'm I'm a little bit more confident than than Austin would say. And it's funny you know Austin says that he was rooting for uh, Georgia Tech in that game against FSU when they blocked the kick. I was also rooting for Georgia Tech, but for very different reasons. And it's funny how all of our paths have now crossed going to FSU here in, in 
covering the Knowles. Exactly, and that for that game, I was rooting for Florida State. I was crushed. I was, I don't know what year in high school was I. I was probably like a sophomore, maybe. I, I think it was I, sophomore year because that was twenty sixteen or twenty. Yeah, I think it was twenty sixteen. Yeah, I was, I was pretty crushed watching that game. So, uh, let's let's kind of break away from that right now. We got some breaking news from earlier this afternoon from Mike Norvell's Monday press conference. Uh, safety Hampson Nazaraldine will miss the Georgia Tech game. He's still rehabbing from that ACL he suffered against the Florida Gators last year in Gainesville. He ha- he was, I'd say, FSU's one of their most consistent DBs last year, if not their most. He recorded 101 total tackles last season, along with two picks. His game really wasn't the interception. His game wasn't really tailored to interceptions, but he was really that last line of defense, and he came up big every now and then for the Knowles when they needed him. So it's going to be tough losing that veteran presence back there for the Knowles. I mean, awesome. What are, you, what are your thoughts on uh, losing Hamster for the game one? I mean, there's there's no two ways around it. This is a tough break because Nazardine was one of the biggest contributors on the defense last year. He totaled 101 tackles last year, 91 the year before. Uh, both years he led the team in tackles, which is a really poor reflection on FSU's front seven. But like you said, he was that last line of defense that you could count on whenever an opposing running back got into the secondary. So it is a tough break, but I will say if he was going to miss a game, I'm glad that it's Georgia Tech because we all agree this should be a win for Florida State. This is one of most, one of the most winnable games on their schedule. So if he has to sit this game out to get healthy in time for, say, Miami or Notre Dame, then so be it. Well, and you talk about key def- returners on defense, and we ha- there's a ton of them coming back from Florida State. Obviously, the biggest one. Marvin Wilson, and I just want to get your guys' take on who are some of your who are the key returners that you got looking forward to coming back. Luke, we'll start with you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm I'm interested in this. You know, I'm, I'm a storyteller when it comes down to it, Gary. And for no other reason than a huge redemption arc, I, I want to see DJ Matthews have a really, really great return year this year. You know, his career at FSU, he's been dynamic in both good and bad ways, off the field and on the field at Florida State. You know, there have been rumors that he's been divisive in the locker room, but then he shows up on game day and he balls out. And there have been days where he doesn't show up on the field, but his teammates come to his defense in the locker room. So you can't really get a good read on him. But I think he can certainly make up for any sort of divisiveness he's had in that locker room um, if he shows up this year and plays the Robin to Tamarian Terry's Batman, if he draws defenses away from by making a couple splash impact plays. And I I mean – that's the key return I'm looking forward to seeing back this year. I would love to see DJ Matthews come back and have, like what you're saying, this whole redemption arc come through. But in Norvell's last couple of press conferences, I believe on Friday, he said that him and DJ haven't talked in a while and he doesn't know really. And mm-hmm. he knows he's working through a process right now. But like, it's just weird to kind of see this because I know he was a part of the group um, that was calling out FSU for the COVID testing. So. Mm-hmm. There is still that divisiveness still there, and it doesn't seem like he's showing up because also he did test positive last month for COVID nineteen. Back, back in early August, yeah, he did test positive. So it's kind of this weird situation now where we don't really know where he is, and like we don't know if he's coming back right away or if he's going to be back at all this season. So, I mean, I'd love to see that redemption come through, but I just don't know how likely that is. I mean, Austin, how likely do you think of it as seeing DJ back out on this field? I would like to think that he's going to be back on the field sooner than later, if not for this weekend, because the issues with Norvell, uh, with the COVID testing, with the the program, really, uh, those those are said to have been hashed out 
as of, as of a couple weeks ago. So there's been time for him to get back in the good graces of the program, in the good graces of Norvell. So I am just putting my faith in that possibility because he, he can be, as Luke said, the Robin to, uh, to Mario and Terry's Batman. So FSU needs a second dynamic receiver, and I hope that he can fill that spot. If DJ Matthews isn't going to be back this year, who are you guys, Luke, we can go back to you for this one. Who are you expecting to be uh, Tamari and Terry's uh, Robin to his Batman? To be honest, it could be any number of players. I I really, beyond DJ Matthews, there aren't a whole lot of guys who have really stepped up uh, for FSU these last couple of years. So I'm, I honestly think if it's not DJ Matthews, we're going to have to wait and see to see if someone steps up. I don't really... I don't really look to one player as of right now to, to kind of make that leap. Austin, do you have one? I was thinking Corey Wren. I know he's penciled in as a running back, but he signed to FSU as an athlete, so he could play any number of positions. So he could line up wide. He could line up in the slot. Uh, it's entirely possible that he finds himself among the higher ranks of the wide receivers. Yeah, those are that's not a bad pick. I personally, for me, I'm looking. I would be looking more towards an Ontario Wilson or Keyshawn Helton. I know those guys were more in the rotation past couple of seasons so they have maybe some trust built up with James Blackman already so those would be my two choices for Robin as of right now but obviously they wouldn't like to be categorized as Robin because no one likes to play second fiddle Mm -hmm. so (laughs) let's we can go on to uh, talk about like some other the key defensive groups right now I think right now the big one that everyone's talking about whether it be on ESPN all the big stations everywhere newspapers uh, you name it, but it's the defensive line for Florida State. We talked about Joshua Kando last week and how Norvell spoke so highly of him right now through camp and through all the workouts that he's seen. But and even I mentioned earlier, uh, Marvin Wilson, one of the big returners. He's the biggest one that obviously I'm looking forward to see because I mean he chose to not go to the NFL draft where he probably would have been a first round pick most likely. I would say so. And now he's coming back to fill in this spot here and try and make something happen and. Florida State, let's be honest, they're not contenders for a national title this year. They're not contenders for the ACC title this year. So he's coming back to just, I don't know, he's coming back for the love of the game, really, and the love of Florida State. And you respect that, and you don't see it too often because this is the age of people sitting out bowl games, people just trying to use college as a stepping stone to get the bag. And he's proving that he ain't. he's not doing it that way. Yeah, I mean, whether it's the fear of getting injured and playing in games that don't matter or you're just disgruntled with the program. You see so many dudes that have real-life NFL dreams. You see them leave their college programs early. So I definitely expected Marvin Wilson to leave and go to the draft, and I would have supported him every step of the way. But for him to come back this season when, like you said, it's it's not entirely a lost season, but there's not a whole lot to gain here. FSU's not going to be contending on the national stage. Um, it's I, I have nothing but respect for the guy because he is going to be far and away the best player on this defense. He can lead a lot of the guys, teach a lot of the younger dudes like how to lead this team when he's gone. So I think his impact is going to be felt for a couple of years after he's out of here. Mm-hmm. And to, alongside him on that defensive line, he's going to have Robert Cooper, Corey Durden, Janarius Robinson, who I'd say was iffy last yeah. year on the D-end, Joshua Kando, who, if he can stay healthy, can be a huge impact player. I mean, Physically, he's a specimen, and he's just something else when it comes to uh, his athletic ability. You saw that video of him swinging the sledgehammer down. He looked monstrous. Yeah, he, he, I mean, he even said, like, I'd never swung a hammer that big, and, like, it was weird, but, I mean, he looked like a natural swinging it. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. He, he's got that abilities to kind of do everything. So, uh, anywhere else on the defense that you guys are kind of looking forward to seeing? Like, I know Jaden uh, Woodby will be back this year. 
He's going to be mainly lined up in the safety slot. I don't know how you guys feel there because I know uh, some people have said he can play, or was it? I think Will, was it Willie played him a lot as linebacker he did, last yes. year. And mm-hmm. that was, that was yeah. really due to the lack of linebacker depth that Florida State had. So I think it's good to now see him slide back more to the safety role. And he's going to be the guy now as in the safety room for this at least week one with Hamsa out. So I'm going to be looking at him to see how he can take on this responsibility for week one against Tech. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely going to be the quarterback of the secondary, at least for this first week. Um, I liked what I saw from him last year, and I hope that he can continue his play uh, for the early part of the season, at the very least, until Hams is back. Mm -hmm. And let's touch on now a little bit of the newcomers that we have coming to Florida State. I know there, if you look at the depth chart, there's a few here and there. There's a few guys who haven't started last year, but there's a few guys that are coming in, and I just wanted to get your guys' take on who who you guys are looking to that are fresh faces that Seminole fans might not notice. I mean, Luke, we'll start with you on this one. Yeah, well, some some FSU fans uh, might know this guy, but he came in last year as a true freshman, pretty heralded. Uh, Travis Jake, a big uh, big get for FSU in last year's freshman class. Um, he's a def- defensive back, and I'm looking for him to break out this year in any number of roles. Um, because guys like Stanford Samuels and Levante Taylor, they're not really there as the mainstays anymore. So I could to- I could totally see Mike Norvell kind of toying around with this dude uh, in his uh, redshirt freshman year, uh, seeing him take on a number of roles like that. And he the thing you got to know about Travis Jay is he is a hard hitter. So I could totally see him on a bunch of highlight reels coming pretty soon. My pick would be Ja'Shawn Corbin, just because he is in line to be the starting running back. He's a transfer from Texas A&M. He got injured very early last season, but he did win the starting job there heading into the 2019 season. And it really does help that Mike Norvell ran a very uh, run-heavy offense at Memphis. That was definitely the strength of their offense. So even with Cam Akers and Kalen Laybourne and really any of the running backs from last season not making it onto the 2020 roster, whether they were dismissed or left for the NFL or other reasons, um, I think Deshaun Corbin has a real chance to break out and become a strong uh, top running back for FSU. Uh, that's Running back right now is the big position that we're all looking to uh, because Cam Akers, he's left that huge hole in everyone's hearts. And even uh, was Kalen Laburn, him leaving this year also crushed a lot of people because you when Cam left, everyone's like, okay, fine, we got we still have uh, Laburn, he can still step in and he can he knows what to do. And then he leaves, and now it's Joshua Corbin who. I personally didn't watch too much of Aggie football in the previous few years. I know everyone's a little bit hurt still (laughs) around that whole subject. I know it's touchy, but I haven't seen that much of him in real game situations. So everyone's got a bit of concern. And is he going to be able to be that guy and be able to fill those shoes? Because, I mean, let's be honest, no one's going to be able to fill those shoes that Cam Akers left. Absolutely not. But that's also the same thing we said when uh, Dalvin Cook left. No one's going to be able to fill his shoes. And Cam Akers filled them pretty nicely, I'd say, given the situation that he was in, because it wasn't perfect, let's be honest. So, uh, I I don't know, I, I'm i confident in what I've seen out of Corbin and heard about him lately, but once again, we're going to have to see what it looks like when it's real helmet-on-helmet uh, helmet action and real football coming in in full speed. So, I don't know, Luke, do you have any, uh, any uh, talking points on Corbin? I know you... You watch a little bit more SEC football due to maybe your your Gator bias, maybe. But uh, what are your thoughts on the Texas A and M running back? No, I, you know, if you if you can win out at Texas A and M, I think you could absolutely start almost anywhere in Power Five college football. To be honest with you, um, 
really physical guy. And, you know, just like we said, we, we were all doubting Cam Akers coming into the FSU being able to replace Devin Cook. And I, I think he did a pretty good job. And the situation could not have been worse around him. So I think, you know, the situation improves. The coaching improves a little bit. There's no reason why Corbin can't step up and be the, the mainstay in that backfield this year. Mm-hmm. And he's, or he's gonna. Austin, do you have something? No, I don't. Okay, sweet. Sorry, I thought I saw you going. I can't really tell because we still got these. We got we're wearing the masks still in the mm-hmm. studio, so <laughs> you look and see if a guy's kind of yeah. leaning in towards the mic if he wants to speak. And I thought I saw you j- ready to jump in, but and then the, the window between us with all the drawings on it, great art, but yeah, it does kind of obscure the vision a little bit. Interesting art, let's say that. <laughs> but um, we can get into now a little bit of Florida State's schedule. I mean. This schedule's gone through so many changes and alterations since it was released last year, really, or over the spring, I guess. And originally, it was supposed to be opening up against West Virginia in Atlanta at the Atlanta Falcons Stadium, the Mercedes-Benz Arena or Dome, whatever. Mercedes-Benz Stadium, It's yes. not the Superdome, because the Superdome's in New Orleans. That's, that's the one we don't talk about. Exactly. And then they were supposed to play Samford, Boise State, North Carolina State, Clemson, Wake Forest, Louisville, Pittsburgh, Miami... Boston College, Syracuse, and Florida. They have now scratched a lot of those teams and moved in a few other teams. One of them is getting rid of West Virginia, getting rid of Boise State, getting rid of Samford, and getting rid of Florida. Those Getting rid of those uh, non-conference games is going to make the schedule look a whole lot different, especially considering Florida State, they had to replace Samford. Samford was replaced last minute a few weeks ago by Jacksonville State University. And originally where Florida State was supposed to play Samford in week two, that now becomes Florida State's bye week. And then Florida State will then play Georgia Tech week one, bye week week two, then University of Miami down in South Florida for week three, and then Jacksonville State coming back around week three or week four, I guess. That would be week four in Tallahassee. So this schedule has a lot has happened on it. And we can get into every little bit and piece about how the ACC changed up the schedule and maybe made it a bit more difficult considering Boston College, Wake Forest, and Syracuse are now off their schedule, but they added on good old Notre Dame, the new bo- the new kids on the block, <laughs> the new kids in the ACC. They added uh, North Carolina, and they added, I believe it was Duke and Virginia. Mm-hmm. So this schedule is wild now. It's, I'd say, a lot more tough than previous years, but I just want to get your guys' take on the one game that you'll be looking forward to seeing right now. Austin? The one that I'm looking forward to is probably the one with the the spiciest backstory behind it. It is UNC coming into Dope Campbell Stadium to take on FSU. I forget at which point during the season that is, which week it is, um, but this is going to be UNC quarterback Sam Howell's first game against FSU since he flipped his commitment. He was committed to FSU, caused a lot of excitement around here, and then he last second flipped his commitment uh, because Walt Bell, the offensive coordinator that helped recruit him, he left for UMass. Is that right? Yes, UMass. Okay, yes. Mm-hmm. So he's no longer with the program. And then Sam Howell said, I don't really like this, decided to go to UNC, and honestly flourished there as a true freshman. He set countless records. I believe he won ACC Offensive Rookie of the Year last year, among a couple other honors. So... FSU fans not too happy to be seeing that, um, and it'll be a, a great treat to see that. Uh, the 16,000 fans that are in the stadium probably going to be giving him a lot of grief uh, whenever he's on the field, but it, it's going to be fun. Luke, who you got? So I'm looking a little bit earlier in the season. They, they play UNC their fifth game, uh, fifth game of the year. I'm looking all the way back to week two 
So after Florida State gets Georgia Tech at home, they immediately go on the road down to Coral Gables in Miami to play a team that they've lost to three years in a row. And, I mean, playing a rival like that, arguably their number one rival, um, it's going to be a quick jolt to the program for sure. And it's either going to end in a huge morale boost if they can pull that off or a serious punch in the face of the program to start the year. If they if they see a big loss four in a row next to that, that stat right there with Miami. So I, I think that's a – especially considering the schedule, it's completely front-loaded with going to Miami – going to Notre Dame and playing a really, really good UNC team this coming year. And then on top of that, in the back half, it gets a little bit weaker, but you have to play Clemson in the back half of the year. So I think it's imperative that Florida State get off to a good start in that game against Miami. The Miami game is such an interesting one, too, because of Florida State, they should have won. I, let's, I don't know about the last year's game, but the previous two seasons, 2017 and 18. They should have won those games. Absolutely. Watching the 2018 mm-hmm. game on my TV was just infuriating it's, it's with that, that false, um, what was it, illegal forward pass that wasn't a forward pass. <laughs> yeah. Disgusting. A lot, lot of interesting calls in that one. And, I mean, this will be the first time uh, Florida State heads back down to Miami, Miami Gardens. People forget the University of Miami isn't even in Miami. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. uh, they will actually be heading down there for the first time since 2018. And even in 2017, I mean, that game, they left about a minute 13, I believe, on the clock, and Miami was able to make a last-minute push down the field in a touchdown throw. To, I believe it was Langham for the so. Canes in the corner. Yeah, I, was, yeah. I was sitting about right on that goal line watching it on the that side where it happened. Everyone's like, no, 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 he didn't. He was down. Malik he was down. Rozier, I was like, nope, guy. Miami legend. Yep, Malik Rozier. It was Braxton Berrios. I, he, was the, he was the one that was really tearing apart the Knolls that day. He didn't get enough credit, I believe. But... Uh, one of the, the I think the game that I'm most looking forward to is the Georgia Tech one. Georgia oh. Tech, it's week one. It's the first game of the Mike Norvell era. Everyone wants to see how this team is going to perform. I mean, this is what we all kind of said last year about Boise State last year when everyone wanted to see how the new offense was going to perform. And it performed for a bit and then just sputtered out. So, I don't know. Georgia Tech, I think it's going to be a fun one to watch. And it's history. Yeah, I mean, with this being the first game of the Mike Norvell era, uh, let's think back to 2018, or yeah, 2018. There was a lot of hype surrounding the Willie Taggart era entering that Labor Day night opener against Virginia Tech. The blackout going on, swag surf in the stands. Everybody was just losing their minds prior to that game. So, and we know how that one turned out. So, with all the buzz that's surrounding certain players at camp, that's considerable. But I think a lot of the hype is contained this year. So it's it's hard to. Uh, to to falter as much as Florida State did in 2018, I would I would say that's not going to happen. The atmosphere, yeah, and that's a good point. I mean, the atmosphere is going to be significantly different for this first game. If you look at the first game of the Mike Norvell Mike Norvell era compared to the first game of that Taggart era, seeing everyone swag surf in the stands, I love the swag surf. Shout out, you Chase. are alone with that respect. I'm not. Al- I am not alone. Our former WVFS Tallahassee member. Jay Sutton, he's also with me on this one. So him and I, we're right there with it. Keyword, uh, keyword former. <laughs> for, hey, Jay's on. Jay's moving on to bigger and better no, things. No, I mean, Can yeah, I, it's great for him. But like at the station as it is right now, you are alone. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> but I wanted to get you guys' take, and I think this might be one of our last things that we get to concern, or talking about Florida State football right now. How do you guys think this atmosphere is going to feel for the players, and how do you think it's really going to affect them 
considering it's only going to be 16,000 as opposed to about 79,600 some odd people, like it's mm -hmm. just going to be weird. It's going to be quiet, Austin. I mean, with, with the quality of attendance the past couple seasons, I don't think it's going to be quite as big of a drop-off from 79,600, but it is going to be a considerable drop. There's not going to be the usual booming student section. There's not going to be a sea of garnet and gold across a lot of the, the general admission. Um, so it, it is going to be a lot different. I think it'll be greater for the offense because they can hear a lot of the play calls. Um, because, let's be honest, the FSD student section is kind of... They're rowdy when they don't need to be. They're loud a lot of the time on offense, and that kind of grinds my gears a little bit. But, I mean, I think it'll be fine. There's not going to be too big of a difference. It's just going to be a lot easier communication for the offense. Luke? I mean, if, if I'm being honest, I, I really don't know if it'll make a difference for FSU, and it might just be a negative compared to the regular crowd noise that they can pump into the stadium if they had no one there and they just went with the generic crowd noise that they could do. Because I liken it to the, the, to the, in my example, the Rays, right? The Rays don't get enough fans to produce as big a, a crowd noise as uh, a Yankee Stadium when it's packed or, or any other really, really uh, popular Major League Baseball team. But this year, with COVID, no one's showing up to any stadium, so the Rays can pump that artificial crowd noise all they want, and it sounds way louder than a usual race, uh baseball game. So... I don't know that it'll be any different than FSU. I, th I think it'll hurt them having just the 16,000 instead of uh, the crowd noise being pumped in. You know, was it in the Mike Norvell's Monday press conference? I can't remember who it was. Somebody asked the question if Norvell had contacted anybody that's already played in a game with no fans or little to no fans, or even mm -hmm. some of the MLB teams or NBA, whatnot, any professional uh, organization. And he said no right now. He hadn't reached out to anyone, but that was actually interesting. I was kind of hoping that he would have reached out to someone that he would have had some experience or who would have been given some idea of what the experience is like because it's going to be weird because it's 16,000 just isn't the same as as 80 as nearly 80,000 people which you can mm -hmm. pack in there in that stadium and that place can rock and get loud as heck but 16,000 man we're gonna have to get used to it it's the new normal for now let's hope this is only temporary but uh, Luke, do you have any other? Or let's get to this quickly before we go to break. Final or way too early prediction for FSU record-wise. They can't go uh, 500 this year. It's impossible due to the <laughs> 11 games. If they make a bowl game, we don't. We're not worrying about bowl games right now. That is off the table. But record right now, what do you got, Austin? Uh, put me on the spot here. Um, looking at the schedule, I I see maybe two or three guaranteed wins because a lot of the easier part of the the past schedule was taken out and replaced with a lot stiffer competition uh so two three guaranteed there i would say five and six is probably about right just because it is the first year of the mike norvell era uh he's not going to have a lot of his uh systems instituted right away and in this covid hampered off season that's going to be a huge downer as well so I think five and six is a good is a good estimate, but I hope that that does not reflect poorly on Mike Norvell or his organization for this first year. Like it, Luke. What do you got quickly? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go six and five with a cap at seven and four. A really good year at seven and four. Okay, seven and four with a cap. I I'm going to take the six and five. I that's I know that's the easy way out. I know everyone's going to pick around five hundred because. We all got a little bit scared picking a little bit over 500 when Willie's first year came <laughs> yeah. around. I know I was, I'm at fault for picking, I think, close to maybe eight wins for Willie his first year. So 
I have a little bit of egg on my face still from that one, but I think that's all we got. Thank you, Luke, for joining us for this first half of Tomahawk Talk. We'll be sure to have you join us more throughout the college football season, NFL season, getting closer to MLB playoffs. We'll be sure to have you on for that. Thanks again for uh, coming on for this half, and you are listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. Welcome back to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. We have a newcomer coming on to the show here tonight, Max Escarpio. He's a freshman here at Florida State. He is uh, he just got here, honestly, a few weeks ago, and we're excited to have him on to talk some NBA playoffs and NFL preseason action. So, Max, how have you how have you been holding up here the uh, first couple of weeks here at FSU? It's been okay. I mean, with the Zoom and everything, it's... Uh... I wish it was like back to normal life, but we'll just have to get through it now. I know it sucks, but we'll we'll all make it through. I'll be good as long as everyone does their jobs, stays safe out there, and keeps wearing their masks like we are in studio here. Yes, but sir. Let's get into some NBA playoffs. I know uh, Austin, you mentioned at the top of the show. You mentioned the uh, Milwaukee Bucks. They took down the Miami Heat, one eighteen to one fifteen, and they got a game back in a game that. A lot of people, I don't know, maybe didn't expect them to or expect the way that they got it done because Giannis Antetokounmpo in Game 3, he t- uh, he had another ankle twist. I know he had one also in Game 1 of this series. He was questionable heading into Sunday's game against the Heat and then was cleared to play uh, closer to game time. He played out the whole game, or he didn't play out the whole game. Sorry, he got around to was it halftime? I believe. I think so. Like early in the third quarter is when is when he got pulled. Yeah, and he twisted his ankle once again. He let out a loud scream as he hit the deck, and then Chris Middleton stepped up and he took over for the Milwaukee Bucks. And the Heat, I'm going to be honest, 
they they blew this one. Yeah. They they should this should have been a sweep. We should have been out of here, and they should have been on to the next round. So, I don't know, Austin. What are your take on this for this this first win for the Bucks against the Heat? I mean, like you said, of the four games that have been played so far, this is definitely the most shocking win because even before Giannis exited the game, he was not playing the best as he has in this series. Um, that that ankle injury was nagging him from Game 3. And I don't fault the Bucks coaching staff at all for playing him in that scenario because some could say, oh, you run the risk of a long-term injury. Why would you play him there if, he's, if you already know he's hurt? But it's the playoffs. You're down 0-3 as the number one overall seed in the NBA. So you need all of your star power that you can get. So I don't fault the coaching staff there. But who I do fault is the Miami Heat for not making adjustments on Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez, some of the smaller, uh, not contenders, uh, contributors. That's the word that I was looking for, sheesh. <laughs> uh, some of the smaller contributors in a usual game. Uh, they went off in Giannis's absence. I guess they were kind of fired up knowing, hey, this is our team now. It's not Giannis and friends. We can kind of do our own thing and hopefully we survive. Well, and survive they did. Well, you mentioned it as being Giannis and friends. I mean, Giannis put up 19 in 11 minutes. So, I mean, he was he was playing lights out. He yeah. looked the best that he did all series in that game. Max, I want to get to you on this. Are the Bucks better without Giannis? Don't do this. <laughs> yes, that that can't even, can't even be a question. Results-based analysis. <laughs> I don't think they're better without Giannis. I just think they play better as a team without Giannis. They pass the ball better. And Chris Middleton is, I wouldn't say a better scorer, but he can score in many other ways that Giannis can't. And it was also weird seeing it for uh, the Bucks. I know their head coach, Brunhoser, he's been kind of limiting the minutes on Middleton and Giannis in the game first three games. I think he played them under 40 minutes or under like th- around 36 in previous games. Middleton played 48 against the Heat on Sunday, put up 36 points, 8 rebounds, 8 assists. So is Brutenholzer, is, is his mentality kind of shown wrong here by Middleton playing 48 minutes and playing his best game of the playoffs so far? I think he might have just logged, logged on Twitter after game two or three and seen all the hate that he was getting and said, hmm, maybe I should play my best players more than 40 minutes in a playoff game, do or die scenario. I, I don't remember him having these same issues with star players when he was on the Hawks. Granted, we didn't have a ton of star players. It was kind of an ensemble cast there. But it's really inexcusable for Giannis and Middleton to be playing less than 40 minutes. Um, so if, if he has realized the, the error of his ways and he's going back to uh, playing his stars when they need to be played, then good on him. And I hope the Bucks can contend in this series. Yeah, and I mean, you have, uh, you have Giannis, which is the reigning MVP, defensive player of the year. And you're going to get a team that beat you twice in the regular season. You have to play all those minutes in your first season. You have to beat that team so you can get to the Eastern Conference Finals. Okay, I want to get to this. We Let's keep moving on through some of the games. But before we get to the Lakers-Rockets, do you guys see this series ending tomorrow night uh, between them in Game 5? Or is this going to be prolonged a little bit more? Are we going to see more Heat Bucks and possibly... A 3-0 blow. They blew the blow a 3-0 lead on the Bucks, and somehow Milwaukee comes back. I don't think it quite goes that far. I do think the Bucks are going to be able to. I was going to say rebound. That's not really the right word. I think they're going to be able to carry over their energy from Game Four and take Game Five. But I have it. I have the Heat taking it in Game Six. I got Heat in Five. Max, what do you got? Of course you do. Yeah, I got Heat in Five. I say Jimmy comes back for a great game. Love it, Max. Great prediction. Let's go on now to the Rockets and the Lakers. And this is another interesting series, one that I really didn't think was going to be that interesting because the size of which that the Lakers have 
is so much more than the Rockets. I mean, the Rockets traded away their centers, it felt like, at the trade deadline this year. And they're running small ball, and small ball's been working for them all up until, I guess, last night. Because in Game 1 of the Rockets-Lakers conference semifinal, the Rockets won 112-97. And, I mean, they looked good, even on defense, too. I mean, the Lakers just could not score that night. So they took Game 1, and then last night in, uh, in the bubble... The Rockets fall by the score of 117 to 109. That LeBron was not going to lose two in a row and go oh, no. two down to Russell Westbrook and James Harden. He looked like a man on a mission that night. So that was that was refreshing to see that LeBron hasn't lost it maybe yet. But I don't know. Do you? What do you see with the rest going through this series? I think the Lakers take it in uh, six games. I don't see it going seven. I don't see it being a, a gentleman sweep like the Portland series was. But the one thing that does really irk me is every time the Lakers lose a game, it happened after game one against Portland, it happened after game one against Houston, the media just loses their collective minds and says, are the Lakers in trouble? Are they losing this series? Uh, is LeBron not going to be able to get, get back to the finals? And it just, give it a rest, give it time. It's one game in a series. And like, it's funny because the night that the Lakers lost game one to Houston, I, I told somebody, oh, the media's going to say, are the Lakers in trouble again? And then the next day, 12.27 p.m., I'm reading off the notification that I, that I got and that I screenshotted. The ESPN app gave me a notification that says, real or not, Lakers in trouble. So it was the exact words that I said the previous night, and my point was proven. It, it's just they've rebounded after game one both times. They haven't been the best shooting team, the best offensive team in the bubble as a whole, but I, I don't know how you can count LeBron out after one game. Max, what have you seen out of this series? I mean, you definitely can't, can't count LeBron out, but this series looks different from the Trailblazers series. They lost to the Trailblazers in game one. The next game, they destroy them. This series, they can't guard the three-point line. They're getting eaten up with a small ball lineup, and I wouldn't say that the Lakers wouldn't win this series. The Lakers will win this series, but... It's going to be way more difficult than the Portland Trailblazers series. Yeah, it's a really weird mismatch of styles here because, as Gary said, the Lakers are they have a lot of big men, and the Rockets have everything but that. So he said it wasn't. He didn't think this was going to be an interesting series. I thought it was going to be interesting off that mark alone, just the Lakers' size versus the Rockets' lack of size. Which one is going to win out? And it's been sort of an even battle so far. I hope we get at least four more games of this. I don't know if I didn't. I mean, really, it wouldn't be interesting. I was still going to watch just about every single game of this oh, yeah. series, but it, I don't think it was going to be as competitive right. as it's been. That's really what I was kind of getting to on that one. And speaking of another series that we probably didn't think was going to be as competitive as we thought after watching the first game is the Celtics-Raptors uh, series right here. It's tied 2-2. The Raptors were able to take game two or game three and four. And now they're down pretty, pretty big. We're, it's, uh, we got live score right now. Second quarter, minute 22 left. Celtics are up 58-31. to 31. Yikes. I mean, the Raptors, it's just up, down, up, down, but it's really up. It's really down, down, up, up. Mm. So now trend keeps going down, down. It's going to be a result in a 4-2 series loss, correct? I mean, maybe, but it, it could also follow the pattern of home, home, away, away, like 2-2, two, 1-1-1. Two, one, one, one. Okay, so they all could right. Win, could yeah. win game six, <laughs> lose game seven, whatever. But, I mean... That, let's just talk about that shot from OG Ananobi and, and really the inbounds pass from Kyle Lowry over Taco Fall to even set up that game-winning shot. That was the stuff of miracles. And 
before the show, I was thinking, man, maybe that could spark a run. Maybe they could run it back and win 4-2, win four games in a row, but not looking like that's going to be the case right now. Max, did you have anything out of this series? I know it's been, I don't know, like I said, it's been it's wishy-washy. One team, or it's one team two nights in a row and another team two nights in a row. I, I don't know how do I feel about the Raptors' chances going forward because at the beginning of this playoffs or beginning of the bubble, I was like, oh, this is going to be a great, this is going to be a good team. They're going to really make a push, and I really see them being in the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, I mean, we, we said last week, sorry to cut in, Max, but just commenting back to last week, we said, or I said at least, I think the Raptors are going to be the Bucks' biggest enemies in the East, and now both of these teams have been in positions to get eliminated. It's just crazy, but go on. I mean, coming into the bubbles, the Raptors looked great, and I had them going into the finals and beating mm. the, I had them beating the Bucks actually. But, um, I mean, they, that shot brought them a sense of hope, and they're doing better now with those two games. And I don't know how the series is looking because the Celtics are really getting the, the best out of them. I mean, in this game right now, 58-31 still, I think they're at a timeout. Jalen Brown is 14, Marcus Smart has 10, Jason Tatum is 12, and Brad Wanamaker has 10. So, wow. I mean, they already got four guys in double digits as we speak right now. So, I... I don't know. I like I said. I got them four. I got Celtics four two. They'll take on the Heat in the Eastern Conference semifinal, and that's gonna be that's gonna be a fun one. I these Heat Celtics uh, Eastern Conference semifinals are always good ones to watch. So hopefully we get another good one in a few weeks. Yeah, it it, it really takes me back to like the early days from when I was getting into basketball. The LeBron James Heat and the the big three of the Celtics. Well, well, let's be fair. The big three of the Heat as well. Um, but that was just my first exposure to LeBron. Um. So I, I'm really looking forward to it, kind of rekindling old rivalries. Max, do you see the Raptors being able to come out of this one, or are they going to be just... I don't see the Raptors being able to come out. The Celtics are different. The Celtics have, if one player isn't having a great night, they have multiple pieces that can that can help them on both sides of the ball. Jason Tatum can have a great night. He can go off for 30. So can Jalen Brown. So can Kemba Walker. So can Gordon Hayward. So they just have many weapons that the Raptors are lacking right now. I want to ask, um, I haven't been keeping up with Gordon Hayward's health, but is he back for this series, or is he expected to be back for the start of the Eastern Conference Finals if they make it? He's not back in the series yet. Okay. So, yeah, that's, I mean, it sounds like from what we're talking here, Max and I both, or I think we all have Celtics, Heat, Eastern Conference Final. That should be a good one to watch. And I know this is probably the one that everyone's probably, this series that everyone's sleeping on, the Clippers Nuggets. Nothing really too flashy going on here. It's it's tied 1-1, though. Give it that. The Nuggets are playing decent enough ball right now. They play at 9 o'clock tonight. I, like I said, I didn't see the Jazz or the Nuggets having a real chance at winning this series. I don't know if you guys, if we're all in consensus here. Yeah, I definitely did not. I figured that whoever came out of that series, the Nuggets and Jazz, would be just too gassed because the Clippers had a couple days uh, advantage of rest off of that uh, that series. And you saw Jamal Murray in the post-game interview after Game 7. He was just, when he found out that he was playing two days later, he just kind of collapsed. He was distraught. But, I mean, the Nuggets did do a good job of coming back in Game 2, limiting Kawhi. He had one of his worst playoff performances of his career, dropping 13 points on 4 of 17 shooting. And he actually did not score a single field goal in the second half. So, good good way to neutralize him there. Uh, Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray, I believe they both dropped 27, so dominant performance from them if they can keep it up for another game or two then maybe we can have a series but i i do think the clippers are going to kind of realize they have been letting up kind of not slacking off but not playing to their full potential and i do think they eventually come out of this series and go to the uh, conference finals 
Max, what do you got out of this one? I mean, coming to the series, I thought there was no chance over the from the Nuggets or the Jazz. But yesterday, that proved me wrong. But also, Kawhi will not have another game like that. No. 13 points on 4 for 17 shooting. We've seen him in the playoffs before, and he always produces. Yeah, like I, I was looking through his, his past playoff games, just his, his game log, and it was really rare to see a performance under 20 points. I think I might have seen like five dating all the way back to 2015. So I, chances are low that we see another uh, stinky game from him again. Yeah, and yeah, I'm going to be with the same on you, on you guys with that. So I think we got LA, LA in the Western Conference, Boston, Miami in the East. Going to be a lot of great basketball coming our way in the next few days. But in the next few days, we also have NFL football. Finally. Oh my goodness. You got your Atlanta, you got your Matt Ryan jersey, your new Atlanta yeah. Falcons. Yeah, my, my, my old jersey. They kind of switched. So yeah. I, I don't have the new uh, swag yet, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have my old uh, Le'Veon Bell jersey on right now. Ooh, in ooh, Steeler Nation. <laughs> we'll get we'll get a little bit to our teams in a minute here, but the NFL will be kicking off this Thursday night, eight twenty p.m. between the Texans and the Chiefs, and we all know how that one ended last time. So uh-huh. we'll get a little bit into that in a minute. But then there's a whole slate of NFL football coming our way. I want to get to this before we kind of get into the opening night game between the between Houston and Kansas City. There has been no preseason this year. It has been the weirdest offseason probably in a long time, probably maybe since war times, honestly, for the United States. And I want to get a take from you guys. How do you think this lack of preseason, this lack of real almost game speed, like I know we were talking about with FSU, how we'll see them take on Georgia Tech on Saturday and see real game action. These NFL guys, they're used to four preseason games a year. And that's those are their tune-ups, those are their chances to prove themselves, to earn a roster spot, and to do all that sort of thing. But they lost it all this year, and you can, if you've watched and kept up with Hard Knocks, you can kind of see how it's all been going along, and it's just been very weird. It's not the same Hard Knocks we're all used to. But Austin, what do you, what are your feelings right now on the lack of preseason? It's definitely a hindrance to a lot of the. Uh... The, the later round rookies or the undrafted free agents or the guys who were maybe 52nd or 53rd on the 53-man roster last year because I haven't really been keeping up with league-wide roster cuts, but I know at least for the Falcons, they kept the vast majority of the people, the, the, the players that were on their 53-man roster in 2019, they carried over in, into 2020. They did, they did keep all of their draft picks. They kept uh, the, the free agents they added, obviously. But a lot of the undrafted free agents and fringe guys that I mentioned earlier, they're gone. So for that reason alone, I think that it's going to be, the, the playoff picture at least, is going to look a lot like it did last year. Just because in this COVID-impacted offseason, there's not a lot of room for new talent to seep its way into rosters. So you're going to be seeing a lot of the, of the same teams winning games that you did last year. I don't know. I feel like with lack of preseason, it could lend more to upsets because you have this lack of pre- uh, prepare, like preparedness. And so it's going to really affect some teams. And obviously the Bill Belichick's of the world and those sort of teams like the New England Patriots might be more prepared than others just due to their just crazy mind that works within them. But I don't know. Maybe some of the other teams, like the Houston Texans, the Bill O'Briens, the the dummy brains of the world, might not do so well. And Max, I don't know. What are your thoughts right now on the whole on the current situation, really, in the NFL, like it is? I mean, what the NFL preseason brought was warm up games and a chance for, say, second string or third string players to really prove themselves. And we didn't get undrafted players like like we usually do. 
And we've had some future Hall of Famers from undrafted players like James Harrison, Chris Harris Jr., Aaron Foster, Jason Peters, that couldn't happen this year, which were actually very important to teams. I agree, and that's that's the that's the big loss right now. I think we're all in agreement on that one. But let's dig into a little bit of this opening night game, the Houston Texans and the Kansas City Chiefs. Last time these two teams met, man, it was an interesting one. The NFL in the AFC divisional round playoffs in 2019. That was or that was 2020. That was uh, January 12th, 2020, man. How that, far that was we, that was pre-COVID. How far we have come. I guess I was during COVID as well cuz I mean, kind of going on in the rest of the world and, it, sure, yeah. and then it came to the United States. But let's keep going on. Uh the Houston Texans in that game, the big thing everyone remembers, they got up 21 to nothing in the first quarter. Everyone thought the Chiefs were overrated. They're done. It's this why are they even here? They're not they're not deserving of that record that they earned. And then Patrick Mahomes comes in and punches the Houston Texans in the mouth in the second in just the second quarter. They outscored the Houston Texans 28 to 3. Ah, uh, don't say that. 28 to 3. <laughs> yeah, Austin, you like that number. Those those are fun numbers right there for you, but they would go on to win that game 51-31. Are we going to see another blowout, or is it going to be a little bit closer this time around? I think it's going to be a little closer, but I don't really give the Texans a chance to win this game. I think they keep it close, and I think they'll be a decent team this year, even with Bill O'Brien making the biggest boneheaded trade I have ever seen, trading a top two, top three receiver in the league for a second round pick and a really good fantasy running back that has is past his prime in David Johnson. Um, he carried my fantasy team 2015, 2016, whenever it was, but that's the years past. So I think they will contend in the AFC South, but I don't think they'll contend in this game at all. And I think Mahomes and company will get off on the absolute right foot in defending their Super Bowl title. Max, what do you like out of this one? I mean, it's a battle against the quarterbacks. And uh, they have both have good receivers, both have fast receivers. So I guess it'll be close in the first quarter, but Pat Mahomes and Tyree Kill will for sure run with it. When it comes to the Houston and their receivers, I I don't like them compared to Kansas City and their no. receivers. I mean, it's I, I feel like it's a world of difference with that because you got rid of DeAndre Hopkins, like you mentioned, Austin. And and now Will Fuller is your top guy. You got Brandon Cooks, I'm pretty sure. And then you also have Kenny Stills. So yeah, Will Fuller's never been a bad option. He's just very injury prone. Yes, exactly. That's why. Well, that's why, in my opinion, he is a bad option. If, at least if you're looking at it fantasy wise, I try and stay away from him every now and then. Maybe as a one kind of one week plug and play guy, if you're able to somehow manage that. But I, I don't know. It feels like a world of difference between these two teams. I might have Kansas City routing this game on Thursday night, and I don't know. I know we we put in our early Super Bowl predictions on the on the Google Doc that we're reading off of today and that we kind of go back and forth to keep show notes. And we all wrote the Chiefs in for our AFC uh, winner. Is there any chance that they get up they get upset and who might it be, Austin? I mean there's there's always a chance. There's never a hundred percent bet. Like even when the Patriots ruled the AFC for pretty close to twenty years, uh, there was always the off year that they got bounced in the divisional round or the, the Broncos made it to the Super Bowl over them. Uh, but Kansas City should be the prohibitive favorites to make it to the Super Bowl. Obviously, Lamar Jackson and Deshaun Watson in Houston and uh, Baltimore, not respectively. I got those in opposite order. But uh, those two quarterbacks are doing a lot of great things with their teams. So they should be the main contenders to dethrone the Chiefs. But really, I mean, I don't see any other team, really. Uh, the Steelers, they're bringing back a 
Ben Roethlisberger off an injury, 38 years old. I don't think he's going to be the same guy. So I think the Chiefs should pretty much waltz into the Super Bowl, uh, barring any catastrophes. Max, do your Pittsburgh Steelers take down the Chiefs in any playoff game that they might meet them in? No. I mean, <laughs> we're defensively, we're very good, but we can't stop the best offense in the NFL. I respect the honesty there, Max, and I want. I, can you give us a little? I know uh, Austin gave a little bit of a preface into how the the Steelers are looking going into this season. Can you give us any little bit more insight? I know you probably follow them a little bit closer than most of us here. I'm not a Steelers fan. Austin isn't. Neither is Sebastian. So, can you give us that little insight? I mean, last year with Ben Roethlisberger out, they had trouble with their wide receivers. Juju didn't have a great season like he did before. And, uh, well, this year with him back, Deontay Johnson, James Washington, and rookie Chase Claypool will have way better seasons. How do you feel about Minka Fitzpatrick in your system there? I know he had pretty decent he – he played very well after my Dolphins traded him to the yeah. Steelers here. So how do you feel about him coming into his second year in the I Steel City? I love Minka, and I, I, love, I still love the trade. I, I'm fine with the trade right now. Obviously, he wasn't happy in Miami, so it's tough to kind of say, hey, no, you have to stay and you have to be miserable. And I know it's tough to be miserable, really, in South Florida, considering the weather. But if he didn't like the situation, it's better for him to kind of get out there and, and spread his wings and fly. And then speaking of spreading their wings and, wings and fly. Oh, that is a great segue. There you go. Austin Reynolds, you're Atlanta Falcons. How do you feel about them coming into the season? I'm I'm a little mixed, honestly. Like I want to be optimistic because I like the moves the team made in the off season. Uh, drafting AJ Terrell because the secondary needed some major work. Uh, got him in the first round out of Clemson. He was kind of maligned for his performance in the uh, national championship game. Joe Burrow kind of lit him up on a few throws. So not a great performance in the highest profile game of his career so far. But I believe he's going to be a very important addition to our offense uh, or defense, rather. My goodness. Um, other defensive additions, uh, Dante Fowler in free agency had a very good season with the Rams. They added Marlon Davidson, a D-tackle from Auburn, and then Jalen Hawkins, a safety from UC Berkeley, I want to say. So uh, a lot of defensive depth added, and I that's the one wish that I had this offseason. So great there. And just the Georgia fan in me, because I, I kind of alternated between rooting for Georgia and Georgia Tech, depending on who had the better season when I did <laughs> live in Georgia. I, I was one of those fans, but I love Todd Gurley, regardless of the allegiance that I had at the time. And it's great to, it's going to be great to see him to play in the great state of Georgia. Once again, uh, I said when he first got uh, picked up by the Falcons, he could just, his, both of his knees could go out in game one and I would still gladly <laughs> drop a hundred dollars on a Todd Gurley Jersey just for the sentimental value. So that's going to be fun. But sentimental value aside, the schedule is what scares me because we play the Chiefs on the road. Uh, it, it, I think it's Bucks, Chiefs, Bucks to close out the season, which is not really what you want uh, for the end season stretch. You, you want a couple cupcakes in there. The Saints are always scary. The Seahawks uh, week one at home. That game on Sunday is already terrifying me. That so, sounds horrible. What's up? That sounds horrible. I would hate that. <laughs> but yeah, I I would say maybe eight eight and eight nine and seven. Okay, so when you mentioned Todd Gurley, when Todd Gurley was given over to the Fal or when he signed over with the Falcons, uh, everyone started talking about the eleven first round draft picks starting on offense. Yep. Are you buying into any of that hype? Not anymore because we got rid of uh, Lacron. La- if I can speak, Laquan, Laquan Treadwell. Treadwell. Mm-hmm. There we go. 
Uh, he was let go in the team's last round of roster cuts, so he's not going to be the third wide receiver anymore. I think the offense is going to be the bread and butter for this team, as it has been. Because you've got a, a fringe elite quarterback in Matt Ryan, depending on who you talk to. Uh, top two receiver in the game in Julio Jones. I think he's top one. That's my bias speaking. But, I mean, the offensive line has been revamped, worked on that last year in the draft. So I think that's going to be definitely the spectacle the spectacle of this Falcons team. It's. I think the NFC South is probably, I think it might be one of the more interesting divisions. A yep. lot of the NFC is going to be a lot of fun to watch. So that'll be good. And I don't know if we want to talk about Dolphins for a minute. I'll just, I'll say, I think it's going to be another good rebuilding year. Obviously, it's mm-hmm. probably going to be 6-10, and 10, somewhere around there. Uh, Tua's probably not going to play till middle of the season starting-wise. I think he'll get some time in. Fitzmagic, Ryan Fitzpatrick is the starting quarterback heading into the year. But let's get quickly to Super Bowl predictions. Way too early, of course. These are probably going to be wrong by the time we get to <laughs> January. Hopefully we get to January with football. Who do you guys got? I know we all have Chiefs, so who's yep. coming out of the NFC? Coming out of the NFC for me, and since it's 8 o'clock, I'm going to keep it short. I say the Seahawks because Russell Wilson, he's the best quarterback in the NFC, second best quarterback in the league in my opinion. So I just think with the way that COVID has impacted this season, I think the teams with the two best quarterbacks are going to be the best equipped to get to the end of the season. Love it. Max, short and sweet. Let's hear it. Uh, I have to agree. The Seahawks are probably going to come out. DK set for a big breakout year, and they, they just added the best safety in the league. I hate to say it because I have Mika Fitzpatrick on my team, but Jamal Adams, and um, yeah, I see them coming out and going to the Super Bowl. Just like I took the easy way out on the uh, FSU season predictions, I'm going to take the easy way out here, taking the Chiefs over the Niners. I like the repeat coming back around this year. Super Bowl will still be in the state of Florida, in Tampa Bay, at, uh, was it Ray J, out there in the Bay. So, I think that's all we have for this edition of Tomahawk Talk. Thank you for listening. And listening, be sure to follow us on our social media at talk underscore Tomahawk. And if you missed us any bit of the show, go and listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other place you listen to your podcasts. Also, thank you to our crew for tonight's show. Thank you to Austin Reynolds in the tank, Sebastian Angel Riano in the production booth, Luke and Max calling in, and Benny on Twitter. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. You are listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.